Solomon understands too well the temptations that every human experiences. And so he gives warning. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come, throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. There are so many ways that we kill people. Jesus said that hating people is like murdering them. Then there is gossip and character assassinations that happen in and out of the church. A disgrace to be sure. We think that we can somehow gain something from destroying others. How shocking and how sad that there are people who call themselves Christians who act like this. Thankfully, wisdom protects us from such evil. Well, here we are this morning doing something just a little bit different. I don't think we've ever done this before. I'm so glad that we do have the technology to make this happen. Uh, as we've just started in Proverbs, I wanted to be the one that preached this sermon for you today. So for those of you who are actually in the building today, you're, uh, you're watching TV again. So I do apologize for that. But uh, it, it is an experiment. And, and we'll tell you more about what this experiment is in the days to come. But uh, this morning, uh, thank you for, for bearing with us. Now, let's get to the message this morning. And we are in the book of Proverbs. We're continuing our series, An Introduction to Wisdom. And we understand today that, that God has given us so much instruction in his word that teaches us what wisdom is. Solomon said in Proverbs 1-7 that the Fear of God is the foundation or the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so today we are looking again at what it means to be wise. Solomon described for us in the first few verses of chapter one what, what wisdom is. And now what we're gonna do is we're gonna see how wisdom will guide us in life. And today we are looking at temptation and the wisdom that helps us turn from temptation. This is just one of probably thousands and thousands of depictions of Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil being tempted by, by Satan himself. And we all know what temptation is all about. It is the universal human experience. People of every nation, people of every color, people uh, male or female, wherever you're from, uh, young, old, every one of us understands what temptation is, what it's like. We understand what it means to look at something or, or someone and desire it in our hearts. We sometimes call it the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh, and certainly with that comes pride. This is the human, the universal human experience. It's important for us to understand that. It's important to understand that because so much of what we face in life has to do with 
the temptations that we face. And whether or not you'll have a, a, a successful life, I say successful because uh, so often we don't really know what that word means. But I'm talking about success by God's standards and not by the standards of this world. So Adam and Eve, they, as you know, were tempted and they made a decision that they were gonna follow their own will rather than the will of God. Now, can I just say this to you? Through the course of your life, through the course of my life, the biggest struggle that I will ever have and the biggest struggle that you will ever have is with yourself. Your biggest struggle in life is not with your in-laws, not with your neighbors, not with your boss, not with your kids, not with your, with your natural enemies, whoever they may be. It's gonna be you. You are gonna be your biggest problem. And this is something that the scripture so beautifully points out. In fact, at our church, we talk about the gospel and the thing that we understand through the gospel message is that we as humans are born with what we call original sin. This is our human nature to sin, to do our own will, to not do God's will. Another way of putting it is that we are self-centered. We like to put ourselves first. We, we wanna do what we want to do. Now, I'm gonna, uh, the reason I need to point this out, the reason I need to tell you that this is part of the gospel message, as you know, sometimes uh, it's very important for us to know, first of all, what the bad news is. The bad news is the condition of our heart. Many people, when they become Christians, they don't understand that in becoming a Christian, What's happening is that you are dying to yourself. This is what Jesus said. If anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, you must die to yourself. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This really is at the very core of, of, of Christian behavior. It's about dying to self. And this is why we must talk about temptation, because temptation what it wants to do is it wants to entice us. It wants us to draw us into doing what we want to do. So really, if you're looking at the Christian life, it's a battle between doing my will, following temptation, or doing God's will, following holiness. It's that simple. If I follow the way of holiness, I'm following the will of God. If I'm following the way of self and sin, then I'm doing what I want to do. So the beautiful thing about Proverbs and the wisdom that Solomon wants us to understand is that we must learn what it is to fear God and do his will rather than following our own, what Solomon calls foolishness, rather than following our own foolishness and doing our will. Because when we do our will, as Solomon points out from Proverbs chapter one to Proverbs chapter three, Whatever we do our will, it is a disaster. It may work out once in a while, it may seem good for a while, but in the end, the bottom line is, is that it is a failure. It doesn't work when we do our will. Now, if you're not a Christian today, then what I'm saying to you makes absolutely no sense, and quite frankly, you, you would wonder uh, what's the point in this message. But for those of us who have been converted, for those who put our faith in Christ and want the spirit of the living God to teach us and to direct us, then what we understand is that, that fundamental to the Christian life is this willingness to submit to the will of God, to do God's will. 
So Solomon would say that the man who fears God, that is the man who respects God, will do the will of God every time. Another way of putting it is the one who, the man or the woman who is holy is the, is the man and, and, and or woman who is doing God's will every time. And that really truly is what holiness is, is that we are set apart for God's purposes and therefore we do God's will every time. So those of us who have been converted, those who have put our faith in Christ, we understand that that's how we live. It's not optional. It's not like, well, I'm gonna do it sometimes, I'm gonna do it when it seems right or when it feels right or when I've got the time to do it or when I've got the money to do it. It's, this is what we do all the time because this is who we are in Christ. Remember, your identity and my identity is in Christ. It's not my sexuality that defines me. It's not my denomination that, that defines me. It's not my gender that defines me. It's not my race that defines me. What defines me is my union with Christ. So if anybody asks Alan Duncalf, who are you? I am a Christian. And by virtue of that fact alone, I am declaring that I am committed to doing the will of God. Now, some of you are thinking, well, does Pastor Alan do the will of God all the time? And I'm ashamed to admit to you that the answer is no, I don't do it all the time. I want to do it all the time. I pray that God will help me do it all the time, but it doesn't happen all the time. And that, my friends, is why Alan Duncalf needs the word of God. That's why I need the wisdom of God. I need God to show me his will so that I will do his will every time. So the, the good news is this. Um, Proverbs tells us how we can do God's will. He shows us in the Proverbs uh, that when we do things God's way, then he will in fact show us the way in this life. Do you know, there, there is a, a huge industry of, 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 for psychics and mediums and people that do horoscopes, that sort of thing, because people wanna know what to do in life, where, where to go, how to go, how, what path do I take? How should I face the future? If you're a Christian today, then you understand the power of God to direct you and lead you in your life. Solomon knew this, and this is why we read in, in Proverbs chapter three, verses five to six, this is one of the first passages of scripture that I ever learned. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't rely on yourself, rather, Trust in the Lord. And he goes on to say, seek God's will in all that you do and he will show you which path to take. Isn't that amazing? You and I as Christians are, committing to, are committed to doing the will of God. So we don't need to look to mediums or psychics or tea leaf readers. Uh, we don't need to go to the local shaman and have him shake some chicken bones and throw them on the ground and try to read them to determine what the future will be for us. We don't, need to, we don't need to phone the psychic hotline or check our horoscope. In fact, it's very clear in the scripture that you ought never to do that, especially if you're a believer. What we have is God leading us. But folks, listen to me. If you want to have the leading of God in your life, then you have to be devoted to this way of living where you are seeking to do the will of God every time. 
And I'm gonna tell you that that really is the sign, the mark of a true mature believer. Uh, it's true, we don't always get it right, but I'm gonna tell you that the sign of maturity is that you learn and you become skilled at trusting God and seeking to know his will. Let me just give you a little example of that in, in my own life. Back in 1987, I had to make a decision. I had left uh, the youth ministry and I was looking at the next phase in my life. In fact, I was looking at going to Greece as a missionary. I wasn't married yet. And I just began to pray, God, show me, show me where to go or what to do next. And uh, I had two opportunities, uh, actually a few more, but then there were two definite ones, two that I, I was actually thinking about. The one was to go to Calgary to become the youth pastor at one of the, one of the larger churches in Canada, one of the larger Pentecostal churches in Canada, and to work with uh, a pastor that I truly admired and respected. The other option was to go to a tiny little town about an hour and a half from Winnipeg, and that town is called Carberry, Manitoba. I went into prayer about it, and I asked the Lord to, to direct my paths. I was seeking his will. I was trusting in the Lord. And by the time I was done fasting and praying about it, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was telling me or leading me to go to Carberry, Manitoba. When I told uh, a senior pastor, a pastor that, that was one of the senior pastors here in Manitoba, that that's what I was going to do, he really took me to task. He said, Alan, are you crazy? How on earth will you ever make a name for yourself if you go to a small town? You've just been in a large city. Go to a larger city and, and be somebody. I was so shocked at that. And I thought, well, maybe I didn't hear from God. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know the will of God, but I prayed about it again. And then I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that yes, that's what I'm to do. Well, here's the wonderful thing that happened because I followed the will of God. Uh, there's a number of things. Firstly, I got to know the family of uh, Trish, Trish Pauls. And, um, and Trish and Ted became very dear friends. And as you know, they are now attending, uh, or Trish is attending this church. Ted did as well before he passed away. And of course, I've got to know the family, love them. They are my family. Love them dearly. And something even more exciting than that happened, uh, it was during that time that Glory and I got, got connected and uh, we began our, our romance. And, and so it was beautiful. But let me tell you the other side of this story. If I'd gone to, to Calgary, I would have been in a very, very uncomfortable position because just about a year after I made the move, to Carberry, I discovered or heard that the pastor in, in Calgary had, had had a major fall. He, he, uh, he indulged in, in, uh, in some immorality and everybody who was on staff had to resign. So there I would have been after the, I think probably less than a year and I would have been without a job and I would have been away from home and what would I do next? So I know that God has led me in my life and even when it doesn't make sense to the natural mind, doesn't make sense to, to the flesh, we need to understand that as we trust the Lord, as we seek his will, he will guide us in the ways that we should go, and then we can trust that he will make us succeed wherever we are and in whatever we do.
So, we know that the will of God, what the will of God is, because he's given us his word, but, but isn't it beautiful to know that as Christians, we also have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes the word, applies it to our hearts, and he helps lead us and guide us in this life so we know what we should or should not do. So let's get back to the great obstacle against doing the will of God. We call it temptation. And temptation, as we all know, is something that we all struggle with. I wanna read to you just a few verses from Proverbs uh, chapter one, and we're looking at verses, uh, verses 10 to 14. And Solomon, remember, is talking to his son, and he says, my child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them while, uh, like those who go down into the pit of death. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our house with all the stuff we take. Come, throw in your lot with us. We'll share all the loot. I want you to see something here. Peer pressure has always been the struggle in every generation. Youth today experience peer pressure from, from their peers. I experienced it when I was a kid, and look, even, even in Solomon's day, they're struggling with peer pressure. Our peers will, will often lead us down the wrong trail. And by the way, it's for that reason it is so important for you to be part of a Christian small group of people who have the same pursuits and desires as you. You need to be part of a church with people who have the same commitment to doing the will of God. Otherwise, as, as Solomon is telling his son, we are going to find ourselves struggling with peer pressure wanting to fit in, wanting to belong, wanting to be part of the group. But can I just say this, is that peer pressure does not just affect youth. It affects adults. It affects all of us in, in one way or another. And by the way, an adult that is giving into peer pressure is an adult that has never grown up. I wonder if that's you today. I hope not. If you're still giving into peer pressure, if you're still concerned about what others are saying and, and thinking and doing, and if you wanna fit in and you don't wanna be left out, then, then you are an immature adult. And it's time for you now to hear the word of God and find yourself seeking to do the Lord's will, seeking his will, trusting in him, and trusting not in your peers. Your peers can never make you happy. No human, can ever make you happy. Only doing the will of God is what brings you true joy and happiness in this life. So here we are discussing youth from 3,000 years ago, and they're exactly the same today as they were 3,000 years ago. What is it that's the same? Well, I'll tell you, it's human nature. We haven't evolved. We're still the same. We're still addicted to doing our own will. We're still, we still find ourselves giving into temptation just the way that our forefathers, Adam and Eve, did, giving into temptation. So we're so easily tempted, and it's so easy to follow the crowd. But Solomon gives this wonderful instruction to not just youth, but to all of us. It's predominantly 
focused on youth, but it would be a very foolish adult that didn't take heed and learn from what Solomon is saying here. So let's look at verse 10, Proverbs chapter one, verse 10. And he says, my child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. Let's unpack that for a moment because this is a very, very powerful statement. What he's, in the Hebrew, what it's saying is don't comply, don't give in, don't do what they're telling you to do, don't give in to their enticements and their temptations. Isn't it interesting that those who are not following God become the actual tools of Satan? We always talk about Satan tempting us. But those of us who are not yielded to God can actually be used as vessels or instruments of Satan himself. The temptations of Satan can actually come through people, people who do not love God, people who are not interested in doing the will of God. So it's critical that you understand the importance of turning your back on people who are under the influence of Satan. So what do we mean by that, turn your back on them? Well, another way to say it is just walk away. Turn around, go in a different direction, run. There are no words needed here. You don't need to say anything. True repentance means that while you're going in, in, in this direction, away from God, when you repent, you turn around and you go towards God. Really, this is, this is exactly what Solomon is saying here. Turn to God. Turn away from the sinner and turn to God because you're doing one or the other. You're either following the sinner or you're following God. You're either following the ways of the world or you're following God. Now, I said here, no words are necessary. Solomon doesn't say, turn away, and then I want you to stand on a soapbox, and I want you to proclaim to this wicked generation how evil they are, and try to reason with them. None of that. Solomon just says to his child, turn away. Don't talk about it. Don't discuss anything. What did Adam and Eve do? How did they get into trouble? Satan comes long and, and entices Eve. And rather than walking away like she should have done, rather than just turning away because she knows what the law of God is, she knows what God has said, don't eat that, that fruit from that tree. She enters into a conversation. I'm gonna tell you now, I want the spirit of God to speak to you because every time you begin to rationalize the will of God, whenever you begin to rationalize going against the will of God or even, even trying to, to discuss what that means, you're gonna find yourself in the same position of Adam and Eve. You're gonna find yourself vulnerable to temptation and you will find yourself, more likely than not, falling into that temptation, giving in to the so-called wisdom of the snake. It's not wisdom at all. What you and I need is the wisdom of God. We don't need the wisdom of this world. We don't need to hear anybody's truth but the truth of God. Every, Oprah is famous for talking about your truth and your truth and I have my truth. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical to, to speak about different truths that, that even if these truths contradict each other, then they can't be truth. By definition, they can't be truth. What we need is the truth of God, the absolute truth of God to guide us in this life and there's no need to discuss it. Don't get into a conversation, just walk away. When somebody is telling you to do something that goes against God's will, you just walk away. So Solomon 
makes it clear to his child. It's, it's easy. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to run. This is what, this is what James says. Flee, flee from temptation. Flee from Satan. And he'll leave you alone. That's what will happen. And then the next verse, verse 11, Solomon says this. You're... Your, the crowd, your peers, your friends, these so-called friends, they may say, come, join us. Let us hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Now, I gotta tell you, I never in my life ever had anybody say to me, let's go kill somebody. <laughs> now, not one of my friends ever said anything like that. Not one of my peers ever said anything like that. But I want you to see this come and join us. This alone, that, that phrase alone is very enticing to the human heart, and I'll tell you why. Because there's something in every human that desires or longs to belong to a group. We want to belong to a group of friends. We all want to say we have a group of friends. This is how God designed us. Remember, we are created in his image. And so, this is what we want. We want to belong. And, and for some of us, we're so lonely, so desperate to belong. We'll even join a gang of people that, that hate God. We'll even join a gang that, that oh, yeah, they all, there's, a, there's a kind of a love between one another. But in fact, it's not a true love. It's just a unity for evil. Who doesn't want to have a group of friends where where there's a sense of camaraderie. We all do. We all want that. And this is a great temptation in itself. And folks, it's for this reason we need to learn the habits of Jesus Christ himself. What did Jesus do? The first thing that he does in his ministry is he appoints for himself a small group. He gathers around him these 12, and together for three years, they're hanging out together, they're eating together, they're fellowshipping, they're traveling, they're fishing, they're walking, they're doing uh, great messages together, they're teaching, and the disciples are taking care of Jesus. It's a, it's a real wonderful team. This is the longing we all have, and that's why we say here at Cross Church in, in trying to make disciples, look, you need to belong to a Christian group that has your values that's pursuing what you are pursuing. So understand that when you hear the, the word from your friends who are not Christians, come and join us, this is a very, very dangerous temptation and you are probably not even aware of it. You wanna run from that. A Christian has no business hanging out with non-believers. You shouldn't be together. This is what Paul says, what fellowship does darkness have with light? They don't go together. You should not be unequally yoked. This is why I will not marry a man and a woman where one is a Christian and one is not a Christian. This goes, this goes against scripture. And not only that, but it's just plain stupid. So we need to do things God's way. We need to follow the wisdom of the Lord. If you are a Christian today and your friends consist of unbelievers, and I'm, I'm guessing and, and pretty, pretty sure that you are probably not on fire for God and probably are backslidden and, and perhaps you're not even converted. That's probably, that's probably the bottom line. And that's not Alan Duncalf's opinion. It's, it's what the scripture tells us. 
Again, you don't, you don't tune in to listen to me to hear my opinion on anything. You want to know what God has to say. I want you to see something else in that verse. Uh, Solomon, again, so wise. He says, just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. Well, don't youth love to have fun? And in having fun, we do some stupid things. I, I just cannot believe. I sometimes just close my eyes in, in, in private horror at some of the dumb things that I did when I was a youth. Not, not necessarily bad things, but just silly things. Uh, I remember one time we were goofing around in a car full of kids, and I was driving, and driving my dad's great big massive Oldsmobile, and just for fun, we wanted to see, get the reaction of some of the cars around us. So when we came to a red light, I jumped out of the car, pulled a friend of mine out of the back seat, and threw him into the trunk, slammed it, and then drove away. Well, we just thought it was hilarious until uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a knock on the door from a police officer. And he could tell that I was an innocent kid. And he said, look, and I, I'm sure you guys were just having fun, but I need to see the trunk of your car. And I just thank God to this day that my dad did not wake up or hear the doorbell. And for some reason, I did. And I was able to, to meet with the police officer and show that there was nobody in my trunk. Oh, the dumb things you do for, as a kid just for fun. Do you know, the University of Rochester, the medical center, says this. The rational part of a teen's brain isn't fully developed and won't develop until age 25, between 20, age 25 to 27. In fact, recent research has found that adult, that adult and teen brains work very differently. Adults think with the prefrontal cortex, the brain's rational part, while teens process information with the amygdala. There you go. Until you're age 27, you're all brain damaged. You, 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 you're in trouble. But look at <laughs> I don't mean to insult anybody, but that's a fact. And I, I can tell you that, that some of the crazy things, uh, I could keep you here telling you all kinds of stories, and my stomach just turns and knots thinking about it. But it's just for fun, you see. You do really, really dumb things. And some, some kids are in jail today because just for fun, they decided to follow their friends and do some crazy things. Hey, listen, it's for this reason that our church believes in investing in that next generation. It's why we've hired Pastor Joel. It's why we've hired Pastor Andrew. It's why we've hired Pastor Chris. We, we, we need to invest in that next generation. You need to get your kids to youth group. It needs to be your number one priority. You need to get your kids to Sunday school. It's, it's, it's a matter of life and death because they need to be taught the difference between right and wrong. And so that when their brains and their reason and their rationality fail them, they will have the word of God to stand on, the word that they've been taught in Sunday school and youth. Well, let's, uh, let's look some more at that verse there. Uh, Solomon says, uh, they may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Let's ambush the innocent. Well, again, I, I never ever heard any friend of mine ever say, let's kill someone. Verses 12 and 13, let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's, uh, like those who go down to the pit. Uh, we'll fill our house with all the stuff that we steal. Come and throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the lot. Well, while I never had a youth or a friend tell me, let's go kill somebody, I, I can tell you I had all kinds of suggestions from friends. And I say friends loosely, but, but my peers, the people I hang out with, the kids I went to school with, 
They suggested all kinds of things like stealing and cheating and lying. Um, I remember in school once uh, we're taking a test and a few of the girls decided that we should all cheat with one another. How difficult that was to, to just walk away and not take part in it. I just literally put my eyes down and refused to participate. And uh, it was a difficult thing to do. Not because I wanted to get the answers, but because I'm, I'm in a position of peer pressure. We all go through it. I had friends suggest that we try, try drinking, try drugs, and I'll tell you, there's something in every human being that is curious and wants to just try it once. And how many people are hooked on all manner of drugs and alcohol, hooked on premarital sex and fornication, hooked on pornography, because they just wanted to try it once. They just wanted to look at it once. Just want just to just see what it's like. And that one time has hooked you forever. I've had friends suggest that we make fun of other people, I've had friends suggest that we slander friends, people in the class, gossip, and yeah, even beat up an innocent kid. Humans, humans really are wicked. We, all are, we are all wicked, and we desperately need Jesus Christ. Solomon understands the human heart. He understands the temptation that we all face. And so here in the Proverbs, he's warning his son. Temptation is going to come your way, and this is what it's going to look like. And you can read it yourself again, Proverbs 10 to 14. And by the way, I hope you're right now working through the book of Proverbs. Very interesting, by the way. It's not difficult to read, but you need to read it to learn. But here we are now post-Jesus Christ after Jesus Christ. Solomon came before Christ, we're after Christ. What do we do? How do we conquer temptation? Because temptation is all around us all the time. And, and frankly, the stuff I mentioned, the drinking and drugs and alcohol, lying, fornication, premarital sex, pornography, gossip, slander, this is all happening all the time in every community around the world. We're seeing it every time you turn on the news. There's riots throughout the USA. Crime rates are, are, are soaring. In some cases, at all-time high. I was watching the news today, and they were, they were showing people on air, airplanes where fights are breaking out. One guy got in a, into a fist fight because, because the guy that was standing beside him was taking too long to put his bag in the overhead bin, so he, he got punched out. This insanity that grips our hearts. And Solomon understands this, and he says, if you're going to be wise, then you're going to avoid all temptations. You're just going to walk away. Don't reason with it. Don't try to discuss it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to, to, to have a conversation. Don't entertain it. Run away. Walk away. Because Solomon knows what the human heart is capable of. The, the great... The great prophet said the human heart is desperately wicked who can understand it that's the truth so how do we conquer temptation well solomon says just he tells his son just to walk away excellent advice and we could add to that in the year 2021 just hang up the phone turn off the tv turn off the 
the computer. Cancel your social media if necessary. Delete that post. Run if necessary. But don't discuss or rationalize it. And some of us as Christians, are, we're, we're getting caught up on, on Facebook in, in absolutely ridiculous arguments where Paul very clearly tells us that we've got no business entering into these arguments and these debates. Let's use our wisdom now and, and button it. Stop. Don't get involved. This, this struggle with sin has been going on since the time of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fall in chapter three. In chapter four, their one son kills the other son. I mean, that's, that's humans. Do you know, after Jesus Christ came to this world and preached the gospel of truth and the church was established, many were, were struggling with sin and not understanding how to struggle with sin. They made a decision uh, to, to leave, leave society altogether. We read of St. Anthony of the third century. He's called the father of, of the desert monks, the desert fathers. And what he felt is that he needed to completely get away from all the enticements and all of the pleasures of this world. Well, it's, it's really a, you know, a very laudable idea. This was, this was certainly uh, something that was noble in terms of, of what his longings and his desires are. He understood the power of sin. Isidore, the priest, he said, of all evil suggestions, the most terrible is that of following one's own heart. That is to say, one's own thought and not the law of God. So Christians under, have understood that from day one. In fact, all God's people, even before Christ, understood that the greatest temptation and the most evil thought is that I'm going to do my will and not God's will. So these desert fathers, these monks, these nuns who went to live in the desert, and we're talking about thousands upon thousands of them throughout the centuries. They went to live in the desert, getting away from, from society, hoping that somehow they could be free of temptation and sin. But the interesting thing is when you read the writings of so many of these desert fathers, these monks and nuns, you discover that wherever they go, there they are. What do I mean by that? Well, folks, wherever we go, we're going to face the sin of the human heart. And so what we need, folks, is not to get away from sin, but to face the sin that is within us. And the only way that we can face that sin is by running to Jesus, by confessing our sins freely. We need to know what it means to be people of the word of God. We need to know what it is to be people who run to the Lord and not away from him. So this approach to sin the, uh, the, the approach to sin of, of, the, of the desert fathers is, is not prescribed by Christ or the apostles or by King Solomon. No, Jesus and the apostles never said, as soon as you become a Christian, run to the desert away from people. No, in fact, Jesus said quite the other. He said, make sure that while you are in the world that you're not of it. In other words, you and I need to be salt and light because there's people that need to become Christians. There's people that need to be saved. And can I tell you this? If you're trying to win your neighbors for Christ, if you're trying to win your family for Christ, if you, if you feel the, the, the pressure of, of the great calling to go and make disciples, it's not gonna be from running away from them. 
but rather it will come through learning how to overcome temptation by desiring to do the will of God and the will of God alone. So many of us want to do our will. And sometimes it's, it, it's born out of good intentions. I, I appreciate that. In fact, I've seen many, many ministries over the years started with good intentions, but it's not the will of God. It's critical that you and I understand that if we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to mature in our faith, that we know what it means to be led of God. So I was led to the humble little town of Carberry and not to the flashy big lights of the city of Calgary, a city that I've wanted to live in all my life. Why? Why would I choose Carberry? Because that is the will of God. And sometimes that's just the nature of the calling of God. It's, it's not the flashy, wonderful thing that we want. And the wonderful thing is when we do what God wants us to do, then we discover miraculously that it's what we want to do. Our will becomes God's will. You know, back on... February 21st, Sunday, February 21st, 1988. I remember it like it was yesterday. I turned on the news and I heard the very shocking news. I was in Carberry, as a matter of fact, 25 years old, at that age where my brain hadn't quite developed yet. And I heard that Jimmy Swaggart had fallen. Now, to a young Pentecostal who, who... who admired and respected Jimmy Swaggart, he had, he had all kinds of crusades. He was taking in probably 100 to $200 million a year. It was a big ministry of preaching and singing and pointing people to Christ, and yet he had been having an affair with a prostitute. I remember that Sunday morning getting ready for church because I had to preach at the Little Carberry Church. I remember looking at myself in the mirror in the bathroom and, and saying to myself, well, if this could happen to Jimmy Swagger, it could happen to any one of us, it could happen to me. And I remember crying out to God saying, God, I don't want to go through anything like this. Please show me, Father, something from your word that will give me hope to face the temptations of life. And this is what God showed me, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. But I just want to read to you verse 3. He said, by... Peter says, by God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Did you hear that? He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. You don't have to run to the desert. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And I determined at that young age that my great pursuit then in life from that day forward would be to know God the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I haven't got time to read to you 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, but I'm going to suggest to every single one of you, make sure that you read that. And I pray especially that you fathers read that and that you fathers and mothers read that to your children and that you have a discussion about what that means. Verse 4 says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. The promise of, of eternal life, the promise of abundant life, the promise of new life. These great, great promises. He's given us a promise of the Holy Spirit. 
who leads us and guides us, who warns us before sin ever comes upon us. These are the promises that enable you to share in God's divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Yes, your human desires are the things that corrupt you and corrupt the world. But thanks be to God, he has given us a savior who has saved us from sin, has saved us from ourselves and from our flesh, and he has saved us from hell. That, my friends, is the gospel. And so temptation does not have to be the winner in your life. In fact, if temptation is the winner in your life, then you have not yet learned what it means to know God or to surrender to God. And the way that that's gonna happen is if you learn what it means to read the scriptures, to know the word of God, and to know who God is according to his scripture. Jesus Christ has given us his promises that if any should believe, that none would perish. It's God's, God's great love for this world that he's given his only son. This is the promise that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, the biggest temptation is to think that you're not a sinner at all. And I see this time and time again, people in the church, people outside of the church. And I can see how people outside the church don't understand that they're sinners. They think that they're relatively good people. And you know, by, by the standards of the world, they are good people. But the Bible declares us guilty. The Bible says very clearly that we were all sinners. Now, you are going to fall into temptation if you don't understand that you have a bias towards being tempted. Did you know that? You have a bias towards sin. The heart is deceptively wicked. We are prone to sin, and Solomon understood this. He knew the great teaching of his own father, David, who said, David said, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who act wisely, who seek after God. Verse three of Psalm 14, they have all turned aside. Every human has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So there it is. That is the human condition, that is you. You're sitting there today thinking how brilliant you are, how smart you are, how, how righteous you are, how good you are, you never do anything wrong. I can tell you it was, a, it, was a, it was a game changer the day I came face to face with my own capacity for sin. If you don't understand your capacity for sin, then you will not understand the need for the wisdom of God because you're too wise, you're too smart, you can figure it all out yourself. And while you think that you're too wise and too smart, the rest of us know the truth. You're a fool. And you need to understand your capacity for sin so that you understand your need to, to stand up against temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit and according to the word. And why do I say the word? Because Jesus Christ, when he was tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture to Satan, thus saith the Lord. Satan came with his temptation and Jesus just took, picked up his great sword of the spirit, the sword of truth, and he, and he 
bat. He killed that temptation with the word of God. Understand today that the wisdom of God is the, is the wisdom that helps us, enables us to overcome temptation and stand in the glorious victory that Jesus Christ wants for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And now we pray, O oh God, that you be glorified in our lives. Lord, as we come humbly to your throne, asking for grace to stand up against the attacks of this world. We know, Father, that there's a battle that comes from Satan himself. There's a battle that comes from the world because the world is under the influence of the God of this world, Satan himself. And then thirdly, and most shockingly, our own flesh. Oh God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would hear the words of Solomon and that we would find ourselves choosing the way in this power of God, choosing the way that honors God. We thank you today, Lord, that by your divine power, you have given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know you, O oh God. Father, we thank you for, for that promise in 2 Peter 1.10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those whom God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Hallelujah. Thank you for that promise, O oh God, and thank you for your word. Thank you, O oh God, that we can indeed live victorious through Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful day.